like, and then he said, do you want to be a part of this rehearsal? And I was like, yes, nodding my head. He's like, because if not, then you can get out. <laughs> and then I was just like, I just stood there. Well, welcome back to Stand Partners for Life. And I am thrilled. Well, I am Nathan Cole. And I am thrilled to have with me here at Disney Hall today, Ray Chen, who has just finished soloing with us uh, with the LA Phil this week. And before we get down to business with Ray, in case you're new to Stand Partners for Life, this is the show that gives you the secrets of the symphony. And it's hosted by me and my wife, Akiko, uh, both violinists in the LA Philharmonic. And we give you the inside look at the life, the life in the symphony, and of course, as violinists and even as parents. So if you haven't heard other episodes before, I know you're going to want to check some other ones out. Just do me a favor, hit pause and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast to subscribe to Stand Partners for Life. And then you'll have all the other episodes at your fingertips after you listen to what Ray Chen has to say. And so let's uh, get right to it. Thank you so much. I've interrupted some corn gold practice to bring him here to you. Uh, hi, everyone, and uh, thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, of course. Actually, uh, why don't you let uh, everyone know what, what you were just doing with the corn gold? Because it sounded sounded great, but there was a system to it. Uh, well, uh, I'm performing the piece in uh, about two weeks' time. Uh, I'll be doing it in Barcelona, actually, in Spain. And uh, right now, it's kind of the... Well, you've already learned all the notes, hopefully, two weeks before. <laughs> this is just the polishing part, and uh, more importantly, memorizing. Uh, and that's where I find that as I get older, uh, the pieces that I didn't learn before I was 25 become really difficult to uh, memorize. So uh, I'm sort of trying to, you know, listen to it a lot, listen to a couple of recordings, but then in the end, there's still no better way than to just, you know, grind out the notes uh and each section by section so you kind of do one section at a time and let's call you know section one you practice it okay you play it through without the sheet music and then you're like okay i can do this and you kind of work on the second section and then you you play that through okay this is good but then you kind of have to combine them so you go one and two and then so and so on. So like when you reach section three, you, you you memorize that. Okay, I've got section three memorized. Then you go from section one again and you memorize the whole three together. And then four and then five. You add each section by each section until eventually, yeah, that you can you can play through the whole piece. Yeah, it's it's amazing what <laughs> what actually worked when we were kids. You just play it a lot and yeah. then it's memorized. And <laughs> yeah. I think as you get older, you tend to rely more on experience rather than, uh, and I think that's why languages become more and more difficult to learn as we're older. Music is definitely like a language like that. Uh, you, you rely too much on experience and that closes your mind in some ways because you think you know how things work. Right. And that, I mean, that does help you out, I'm sure. Oh, I'm, definitely. Yeah. Like on stage. Yeah. Yeah, you, you you must have. You can definitely hear the difference, no matter how well polished. Uh, I would say, you know, unless there's a anomaly, a, a younger artist 
uh, you know, there, you'll always hear the difference between an older artist uh, and a younger artist. There, there's just some, and, and I think that's the experience. You know, people say, oh, it's it's depth, it's what, it's this. They have give it a variety of names, but you know, in the end, it's uh, it's really just you've done this so many times, and you've you just you can fully, I guess, there's. Well, there's no barrier between your thoughts, your experience thoughts in real life as well that comes into play and uh, what comes out in uh, through the, the instrument. Until you, then you get too old and then you start, you know, physical <laughs> <laughs> hold you back. Yeah. Well, I, I did want to, this is one of the most important things I wanted to talk to you about because you, you are or you appear to be at least such a comfortable performer and I remember the first time I, I saw you play, which is to say the first time I played with you here with the LA Phil. Um, and that struck me right from the start. Has it always, well, do you feel <laughs> comfortable performing? Because you certainly seem to enjoy it and the audience gets to participate in that. I, I really feel like you instantly connect with them. They're, they're on your side. Uh, yeah, I think performing, well, thank you, first of all. And uh, I think performing has been a, always a, huge factor in why I wanted to become a musician. Uh, for me, uh, sharing, uh, you call it sharing the, the ideas and thoughts or, or just outright showing off <laughs> at times, you know, That's cool you, too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, you get a, or that connection with the audience. It's just amazing. Uh, it's an amazing feeling for me. And it's, uh, I, you know, somebody, I'm somebody who hates practicing. But uh, I love performing, so therefore, from a young age, I sort of worked it out that in order to have a good performance, you, you just have to practice. Um, <laughs> so you always loved performing. So yeah, I've always loved performing. I think that when I, I my teacher, my one of my old teachers, would always say, "Oh yeah, like Ray, when you were when you were five years old, you were always asking me if you could bring your violin to to school to preschool," and I was like, "Wow, like that I mean five, yeah." So that was a that was a thing. Apparently, I, I just really liked to perform. Were you doing the uh, Paganini at five? <laughs> not quite. People like always the, want to know, you know, <laughs> not like the Paganini variations, been... the the twinkle twinkle variations. Okay, with the with the upo staccato. <laughs> yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> Sorry, I yeah, I have to share this. Last summer, when uh, you played at the Hollywood Bowl with us, and after you played Tchaikovsky, and you came out for an encore, and turned to me. And kind of held out your hand, held held That's out right. your bow to me, and I was like, I'd broken what? so many bow hairs. Yeah, well, I couldn't tell. I thought, God, did something terrible happen? I mean, he did just play Tchaikovsky, and it seemed all right, but maybe the bow like exploded as he was walking back out here. And <laughs> so, yeah, you took my bow and yeah, played Paganini Twenty First Caprice, which happens to feature uh, quite a bit of upo staccato. And yeah, people came up to me afterward. They were like, Oh, so yeah, did you guys? Um, you must have worked that out. Did he try your bow to make sure it was like good for upo staccato? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't think we, I don't think we did, right? No, because I it took me completely by surprise. I was like, we, no, we weren't getting together. You know, let, let me get my good staccato bow and make sure I've got it for for Ray. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that that was amazing. And um, one more uh, story from last night when you had a, a cell phone go off. Uh, Right before the last page of Sanson's introduction and Rondo Capriccioso. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's like it, it, the timpani's like rev you up. Yeah. And then there's meant to be like a short breath of a silence, but that short breath like totally turned into 
what like an age as we were like hearing it's just like really and you just waited waited yeah <laughs> and then, and then yeah till that person turned it off yeah i wanted to give them a chance you know that's true yeah let them let them atone for <laughs> for their sins did you go through a period like some people do it's almost always in those teenage years where suddenly the things that were comfortable aren't quite as comfortable anymore and you, and you have to rework certain things and, and come through that period or or did you not really experience that? Oh, no, no. I, I, I assure you, I assure you I did. <laughs> it was, uh, and I think that it, it, it happens to everyone. Every artist goes through the same thing. Um, I was on the j- jury of the menu competition and, you know, they have two uh, sections. This is a competition that I did when I was a kid. Right. And uh, the junior section is up until the age of 15. And then the, uh, the senior section is from, I guess, 16 until 22 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you notice that these nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, I mean, the last uh, junior prize winner, I think he was nine years old when he won. You know, they're fearless. They have this just natural ability to play. And then you go, you, you hear the senior section and you can hear the worry. You know, it's just at that yeah. age where, you know, you're in your late teens and you're worried. Suddenly, like the whole world is, it, you, it dawns on you that, oh my gosh, I, I, you know, I need to think about, I need to become a deeper musician. And that's the beginning, that worry in the sound that, which, you know, in the beginning, I mean, it totally messes you up, but that worry <laughs> is what turns, I think, you know, a great kind of musician into a real artist if, if nurtured correctly. Right. I mean, otherwise, and it's great to see fearless, fearless performing, but just by itself that it, it leaves something to be desired and Human audiences always appreciate seeing a human artist, but, you know, someone that, that rises above all those challenges or... Yeah, yeah. It's something that it's it's like the difference of uh, just a well-polished, like, ta- young talent. You know, you hear they're like, they even, you know, these days, I mean, they're so talented. They they know how to do all the right, you know, gestures even, in the both in the music and physically and, you know, <laughs> have that whole charisma. They really, they really rely on the charisma and especially when they're playing stuff that is like, um, I don't know, it's more like Four Seasons by Vivaldi, stuff that's not Brahms or Beethoven that requires you to be, you know, really rely on that, that depth of artistry. The other stuff, like the Mendelssohn's and uh, that you can get away with that, um, they can really shine and, and, yeah, or Mozart even. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's something about those types of uh, repertoire that I think really suitable for young young uh, performers, and that's why you know it's so important to choose your repertoire carefully in the beginning of a career. You don't want to just go out and put yourself out there and agree to playing Brahms and Beethoven too early. Yeah, I remember. Not that I'm a globetrotting soloist, but I remember when my teacher who I'd had since I was 10, Dan Mason, um, finally toward the end of high school, we started Tchaikovsky concerto and he said, okay, Nathan, this, this is going to be your first R-rated concerto. <laughs> R-rated I, concerto. I, I got worried. I, I got all nervous because I was barely watching R-rated movies at that point. <laughs> I think my parents had finally let me see a couple. Wait, how but, old were you? Um, probably 16, 15 Six- or 16. Oh, okay. <laughs> starting Tchaikovsky and yeah, so that was like, whoa, R-rated. Am I gonna have to have to play sexy now? Or yeah, yeah. Well, I did that for uh, I I I was uh, 
waiting uh, with the chacon, the box chacon. You know, I was leaving uh. that. I was almost like leaving it until marriage or something. <laughs> you know, there was some sort of like, like romanticized uh, notion in my mind. Yeah, but uh, you know, so I left that pretty late. I was, uh, I think I was, yeah, twenty. Now almost almost twenty by the time I, I played that piece. But you know, I'm glad I did. I uh, it was very, it was that was good. Some things you should learn when at a younger age like i think that tchaikovsky for example uh tchaikovsky violin concerto it's one of those things i've heard that people who learn it later suffer so much because mm. it's it's like kind of like what you know fa leopold auer famously said oh it's unplayable right and i think that yeah i mean he was an old man when he <laughs> when he had the had his hands on the on the first edition I mean, although it was later revised a little bit, I'm I'm sure that yeah, it would be it would be quite unplayable if you didn't learn that from a younger age. But other things, you know, like the Bach Chaconne, I think you 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 might get stuck um, if you learned it too early, in my opinion. Yeah, that's interesting. You say that I, there are pieces I I'm not sure that I ever really learned anything too early, but. You were saying before the ones you learned before 25, you always remember them. You, those are so yeah, easy to, to yeah. memorize, but also some bad habits get memorized in there too. So yeah, something like the Chaconne, had you learned it early, you know, I'm sure you would have learned it and played it well, but then some of those patterns of youth would be in there too. And Exactly, exactly. Like Mendelssohn, I mean, that's great. You always remember that you can summon up that, <laughs> those patterns of youth, but... Yeah, it's, I guess, you know, Brooke, for example, Brooke Violin Concerto, uh, I learned that quite early. I was, I think I was around 10 or 11 when I first played it. Back then, my intonation, my technique, I was just horrible. Uh, I could not play in tune, like every other bar, like a note was out of tune. And it was because I never practiced a single scale or etude up until that moment, except for Paganini's 24th Caprice, which really doesn't count. But, <laughs> I was going to uh, say, that, that's a yeah, yeah. standard etude, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, later on, I paid the price. I, I had switched teachers when I was around 13 or 14. Yeah, I'd switched teachers when I was 14. And then that teacher uh, uh, made me only play scales and etudes for six months. Wow. No, no real pieces. And when, I forget now, when did you go to conservatory? When did you go to Curtis? So I went to Curtis when I was 16. Uh, I grew up in Brisbane, Australia. I mean, you can tell totally by my accent. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell by this accent. Okay, but I, well, you know, I've heard hints of... Maybe, uh, I was just thinking, you know, in a podcast, people can't, people can't, you know, differentiate. Maybe, maybe our voices are really similar. So maybe I should just put on my Australian accent. This is how I sounded before I moved over here to the States. Yeah, you guys didn't know. I actually just switched someone different into the room. This is, <laughs> this is not Ray Chen anymore. <laughs> no, that that's amazing. That so okay, detour then. So then, when did you uh, when did you acquire the American accent then? Well, I think that growing up. Oh, now you've got me going. I can't stop. Um, I think that growing up. I should up switch to. In yeah, what would you switch to? Uh, What's your native accent? Are you, are you no, from, this is it. But I, oh, you know, I, I could I could do a really bad Australian accent. Oh uh, <laughs> well, I'm not. Yeah, should I? Should we hear it? Have you Have you done it before? Um, let's see. Not on this podcast podcast before, but oh, that's I, not too bad. Yeah. All right. No. I, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You were you you principal um, hornist. He's from Australia, right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, sorry, I, I already forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I was. What I was going to get at was uh, that you had a few years before conservatory to where you had a new teacher kind of with this focus on 
yeah, technique. where I could just polish up my technique and really, uh, yeah, lay down the foundation, so to speak. But were you performing a lot at that point already? I mean, were you doing a lot of public performance? Uh, not really. I mean, I had won a, uh, competition at like a national youth concerto competition in my hometown, uh, where I played the Tchaikovsky. I was 13 at the time. So um, that was pretty exciting. It's my first like real R rated concerto with an orchestra. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was, that was nice. Um, kind of really gave me a huge encouragement. I feel like competitions throughout my life have given me uh, more than the prize itself, it's been the the, the lessons learned, uh, preparing for them, uh, of course, winning them, but also not winning them. I mean, I've lost far more competitions than I've won. And uh, yeah, there's the, the, they've played a huge, uh, pretty major role in my life. Let's talk about that because I'm very curious. Um, you won Queen Elizabeth, of course, probably isn't a bigger competition out there. And so, you know, what... A milestone. Do you feel like things was was that a real career turning point, or a playing turning point, or both? Or well, I think that certainly was a career turning point. Uh, I was, you know, it, it's like you get a spotlight put on you when you win a competition like that. I mean, it's every four years. It's basically violin Olympics, mm -hmm. the the really really big ones. But yeah, I mean. And how old were you? I was 20 when I won the Queen Elizabeth. Uh, it's coming up 10 years now. Ah. Yeah, 2009 when I won. Well, uh, I want to hear about that experience because uh, I love what you said about how it's about much more than the prize, even though that's great and <laughs> the spotlight and all that. I've only, I only tried my hand at one international competition, not a top tier one. And I was, uh, I was 26 and it was sort of that feeling like it's, it's now or never. I got, I got to try it once. And yeah, I was really struck by looking back, I, I am struck by what I remember, which is not so much the playing, but, you know, the other guys and girls there of the town, this was in Switzerland. I remember my dorm room where I, you know, just practicing for two weeks and just how long a process it was. And that really surprised me that I was exhausted by the end of it. And I did not think that I had my best playing in me. <laughs> in the oh. finals. So I'm curious with this, which is such a bigger deal, much more attention and longer. I'm curious your experience with that and then things maybe that were different than what you expected. Well, yeah. I mean, you mentioned how long it is. It's yeah, it's a full month worth wow. of time. And the final round is especially grueling because 12 finalists are picked. I mean, I don't think any other competition has 12 finalists mm -hmm. who all get to go on stage, play a concerto, a modern piece, which you have to learn. You know, the modern piece, that's where it comes in, the uh, the difficulty. Um, that They compose this entirely new piece just for that edition of that year's competition. So, um, you know, it's never seen before. You, you get... And then part of it is like you have to, you get locked up in this, um, well, no, you know, you just can't leave the premises. Um, and the premises is? Is this, uh, it's, it's called the Chapelle. It's uh, kind of like. Um, it's um, beautiful. Right? It, it's, it's quite nice, um, but very stark, I would say. It's, there's nothing more than necessary there. So you kind of have your, it's like a double door and system. And then you, you have a piano in the room, um, bathroom, and then. That's it, your bed. That's it. You're you're practicing all week <laughs> and you're there for seven days. They take away your your cell phones, your computers, any kind of 
radio transmitting devices. You have no outside contact. You're not allowed any visitors. Um, and uh, you have to learn this. Uh, it's to create a, a quiet environment, especially, well, you know, in today's day, where day and age where, like, you know, so much social media is going around. Right. Um, but also so that you can't get outside help for the, um, the contemporary piece. And so you have to learn that in seven days and perform it with orchestra alongside with uh, your choice of concerto, which I did Tchaikovsky. And uh, also um, back then we had to do a sonata, so I did Frank sonata. And this is just the finals you're talking about, right? Yeah, this is just the yeah, finals. Yeah, g- give people an idea of the, the complete repertoire for the competition. Oh boy, I mean, <laughs> first you have to send in a DVD uh, as part of your application. Uh, and then if you're invited to go, like around 70-something people get invited to go to Brussels, and then you play the first round and usually in the first round of these competitions they want to hear a little bit of you know like how you sound in different styles so there's usually a Bach uh, so you have to learn this. a complete you have to learn it and yeah. then they tell you which section they want to they want to hear which um, you know because each person plays for about 10 minutes I would say okay. 15 minutes maybe but you've and got to bring the whole Bach yeah you have to bring the whole Bach uh, they'll tell you a month before I think which movements Oh, okay. So, um, and then I think they tell you uh, 72 hours before, because you have to bring three caprices, Paganini caprices. Okay. And then they tell you like which two you'll play. So they they do a lot of that um, in order to kind of test you to the maximum. So you have to do the Bach, the Paganini. I think we also had to do some sort of, they keep changing this one, either a small Mozart or like a Fritz Kreisler piece, like a salon piece. Okay. um, With piano and... uh, yeah, I think there's something else as well. I can't remember. Well, and how many concertos? You've got your romantic concerto. Yeah, you've got the romantic concerto and that, and that's it. Okay. But then the second... Oh, and the Mozart. Yeah, that's in the second round. Yeah, so second round is divided into two days. So that's 24 people get selected. So that's a big cut. Mm-hmm. To make it into the second round is... Yeah, I would say that's that's quite difficult. Um, and then you, you're, you're playing a, a full recital program that's about 45 minutes. Um, so really like a first half of a recital or 50 minutes. Um, and then on another day, you're playing a Mozart concerto with a small chamber orchestra. And then once you get selected into the finals, then, you know, the whole dungeon <laughs> situation <laughs> begins. So then what was your mindset for the, the finals then? Um, did you did you appreciate all the isolation and the, the peace and quiet? Or was it just like, uh, let's get this over with already? <laughs> Well, back then, I really enjoyed it, actually. It was really like, gave you a simplified uh, life. They prepared the meals for you. And uh, yeah, you didn't have to worry about anything. You just had to worry about well, you're practicing and trying to learn this new piece. And uh, that was really nice, actually. When during, you know, you'd, we often, uh, we would, you'd think that in such an environment, it would be cutthroat, but actually... Everyone was really nice. Everyone was... Uh, well, I mean, one one guy did say, like, I'm here to compete. Don't talk to me. <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. You know, when we were having our interviews, I would just remember... Did he star in Rocky Four? <laughs> it sounds like Ivan Drago. <laughs> I must break you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, he, we were all, you know, when when we had the interviews, like, oh, how does it feel to be in the finals of such a, you know, prestigious competition? And we'd all be like, oh, it's such an honor and stuff like that. And how important is it for you to win? And we're like, oh, you know, well, it's all winning's not important. We, all, you know, you say those kinds of things, right? Even if you really want to win. But he was just straight up. He was just like, I am here to win a prize, <laughs> to bring back to my country. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> pretty intense. That doesn't sound like Spain. Um, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I think I'd do a better Spanish accent. <laughs> well, maybe, I guess honesty is good. If you're there to win, let's uh, yeah. just come right out with it. He did. He did end up getting a prize. Yeah. Cool. And and all these are recorded. At least now they are. I mean, the everybody's programs, you know, they get oh, yeah. broadcast. Yeah. I mean, my stuff is still out there on YouTube mm-hmm. from 10 years ago. So, yeah, that's um, that's that's something you have to live with. Yeah, I, I feel fortunate to have grown up uh, a little bit in an earlier age where not all my... But, I mean, it's not the worst thing to have your gold medal Queen Elizabeth performances out there. Yeah, yeah. There, well, there it, are more it, embarrassing it, things that could be out there. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, it's 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 all right. And so, what what happened right after that? Did you did you already have management at that point? Yeah. So afterwards, it was quite an interesting time period uh, because obviously, like I said before, there was a spotlight, a huge spotlight that's put on you. But really, it's kind of like uh, because there's so many prize winners nowadays. It's like you get 15 minutes of fame, and it's what you do with those 15 minutes is is really important to set up a career. I was sort of lucky because, uh, you know, it wasn't as crazy as it as it is now where you really have to, there's so many people, there's so many prize winners and everyone's on social media and everyone's like kind of shouting into this void of, oh, look at me, you know, I can play. And um, the, in 2009, I feel like it was, that was just starting to begin. It was still early days mm-hmm. of of social media. I mean, Facebook was just overtaking MySpace <laughs> right? And, MySpace. And, and stuff like that. Yeah. So I feel like I was fortunate in that I had a little bit of time. I got a recording contract out of it uh, with Sony back then and uh, management, you know, who I'm still with, the same management, uh, Columbia Artists, Cami Music. Just that Those things launched my career. And then over the years, I was slowly able to, through playing, of course, and then just sheer will <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. yeah they they talk about the total package right you have to have the total package these days it's it's really it, it yeah it's 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 tough because you you have to be so much more you feel like you have to be so much more than just a musician which is what we were trained to do so i feel like it, it's really at a you've been training to do this one thing your whole life really well and then suddenly it's like oh you have to become a self-marketing agent you know like that's that's just so another part of your brain well, that's interesting you would say that because, I mean, you're the person or, or one of the very few people I think of that, that does blend all of that so seamlessly. I mean, you, you've got obviously a huge following on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and, and all the rest. And But I, I feel like what you see is what you get. I mean, I, I don't see two personas uh, um, or I don't see the player and the the entertainer i mean it's 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 all <laughs> it's, it's all the same <laughs> <laughs> well it's a, it's all when it's all you that's my um impression at least yeah. and even we we were talking about kids before we uh got switched on here but yeah my my daughter who's now six i remember the first video she saw of yours because she's a violinist as well a little one um but the first video she saw of yours i think you were in san francisco chinatown but some Chinatown, oh, yeah. and you were you were running eating, from place to place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I did a little food vl- blog. Yeah, yeah, and she she just she wanted to watch it over and over. She's like, "Who is that?" And I'm like, "Well, that that's a violinist, <laughs> a really good violinist." But right now he's just eating a lot of food. Yeah, <laughs> she she just loved it. Um, did you know? I mean, at that moment, you talk about 2009 being a great moment to 
to start putting yourself out there in that way? I mean, did you know back then? Did you have a plan, I guess is what? I have to say no. I did not have a plan. I had no clue what I was doing. It was <laughs> it's it's you can't because yeah, you you just want to play well. And then you like I said, you have to learn all these other things that only being out there in the real world can teach you. Learning things like how to just communicate with other people, you know, how to communicate with conductors, especially that's like a whole another language. I we feel like we talk about that a lot here on Stand Partners. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet, um, and um, and yeah, and also then co- communicating with conductors, communicating with A uh, and R people from record like like record label peoples, communicating with managers, uh, then communicating with your audience. It's other musicians you sort of learn in school, but yeah, it's, and then just the art of communication itself. I mean, I I hear so many stories of musicians. Oh, they, you know, they're not very good with email. Well, you know, too bad. That's going to really put a dent in your career Uh if you're not good at communication. Yeah. And I feel like, wow, that's, that's um, long gone other days where you can just uh, practice and, (laughs) and just play. But, you know, at the same time, I think that it is a good thing uh, because I don't know how you feel about this, but sometimes I feel like classical music, we walk such a, well, certainly not here at the LA Phil, but I would say that like there's a danger of just becoming really not creative, even though we're supposed to be artists because we're playing music that's been, you know, composed hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. And so there's this kind of disjunct like feeling of, am I just, you know, just doing, it's so easy to just kind of lock in and then just do the same pieces over and over again. And, and that's it. And I think that's what was the problem with classical music. Like I would say, and from eighties to nineties, early two thousands, there was a, remember like, I would say like, yeah, 10 years ago, there was that whole, oh, is classical music dying? Yeah. I think it's every 10 years. (laughs) Yeah. But actually I think that now we won't, we, this, this year is not, it's that question won't be asked. I think that classical music has turned around and and things have changed. Yeah. I I agree. I feel like the, the stories now are more like, okay, we, we've got, we've got an art form here that's not going anywhere, but, but who's going to own it you know who's going to be part of it is it just going to be the same people as always or is it going to be different groups that that haven't really been included before yeah well i mean growing up as as a young musician i often felt like i mean except for a few names like yo-yo ma something people like that um or certain violinists that i you know my parents had bought their cds I didn't really feel a connection and and we never really went to that many concerts. I probably went to, of my local symphony, I probably went like once a year, maybe. And so that, that's something that I felt like was one of the first things I wanted to change, which is to, yeah, address and communicate out, reach out to young, the young generation who are learning instruments. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're the ones who I feel like because they're the, they're the next generation. If we can get them to come to the concert halls, they're the ones who will support this art form long into the future. What's, the, what's your favorite way to hear from, hear from your fans, hear from your followers? Do, I'm sure you get a million comments every day on Instagram. and Yeah, yeah. Well, nowadays you can hear them from them uh, directly, and that's, that's really great. So 
uh, not what that we take requests or anything like that, but um, it it's just you get to you get to yeah feel like you're in touch with a group of supporters, and you know then the, you see them in the signing lines, and they're like, oh my gosh, I I'm I'm finally seeing you in in, in real life. It's like not just on YouTube, and they and they feel <laughs> like they know you, and 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 that's really cool. I mean, just like you said, I I am who I am on online, both online and offline, and on the stage and off the stage. So. Yeah, it's it's really cool to see someone just feel so strongly about you, and 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 not just, but both, and it helps them understand the music too. That's where it really, I I find it so rewarding to do. Then, even though I I have to say I have a love hate relationship at this point with social media. <laughs> well, are, are there things that uh, are there things that people are constantly asking you or telling you when they when they do meet you that that still surprise you? Like, oh, you're you're still asking me that, or you're still surprised by this? Um, not so much anymore, actually. It's you've prepared them. <laughs> yeah, it feels like they really know at this point. They're not just people aren't. Most people aren't just coming to hear. At least not to, especially when I play recitals and stuff. Then they're really just coming to hear me. So they already have some sort of idea of who I am. I would say um, a large portion of the audience is like that. Yeah, then they already know who you are. There's there's some sort of. Uh, connection that's already been made and that breaks the ice then people feel more comfortable yeah to come to the concert because it's the concert hall is not a such i mean most concert halls aren't that welcoming to first timers like yeah. it's hard I to get them that. to yeah to us it's like kind of like what do you mean it's just go get a ticket but then there's <laughs> that whole thing about like forget the the cost of the ticket itself but also like which concert should i go to who should i go to so now it's you know, should I just hear the Beethoven just for Beethoven, or do I want to hear Gustavo's Beethoven? You know, there's right. so, so that, that then there's okay, that's already one closer connection, one one additional reason. Oh, I I really want to hear you know Dudamel conduct you know the Beethoven Symphony, uh, and, and and that's what I've always wanted. So I'm gonna go hear that, and that that might be your entry point, or I really want to. You know, hear Ray play this particular piece. Like, oh, I, I've seen his videos. I want to want to go listen yeah. to him play that. And then perhaps, oh, the, you know what? The experience was was really. Then they'll feel like, especially here in LA, where the, it's so welcoming at Disney Hall, uh, they'll be like, oh, you know what? That was really nice. Uh, I, I should totally go to more concerts. Yeah. And you know, that's that's what needs to happen more and more. Yeah, go to more concerts. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I should too. We actually we went to a play last week, and we're still talking about it. It was amazing to go to to go to a live performance that we're not in. Well, I'm coming and, to your concert tonight. Oh, you are. Yeah, that's okay. right. Get ready. Be prepared for Buddha Passion. Yeah, that's, that's right. literally the title of the piece, Buddha Passion by by Tan Dunn. Well, I do want to let you get back to Corn Gold. Yeah, it's a, just what you want to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> save me from my practicing. <laughs> no, just, then, then just stay and talk. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, where can people find you online? So, uh, you know, you can, uh, for those of you who might be interested in where I might be performing next, uh, that will be on my website, just uh, rachenbyland.com. And uh, you can also follow me on Instagram or Twitter, rachenbyland. Uh, and yeah, I mean, on Facebook as well, it's just, oh, Ray Chen violin. <laughs> I mean, you just have to search for, I think on actually on Facebook, it's just Ray Chen. Yeah. 
uh, I think if people if people are motivated at all, they'll they'll find it. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, I, there's only one more thing I'm curious about because we didn't get to talk about Curtis at all. Our uh, alma mater. That's right. I heard but, you're you, you're an ex Curtis student as yep, well. Yep. Did you play an orchestra there? I mean, everyone oh, usually yeah. has to. I mean, so. every, they certainly don't make any exceptions. <laughs> Good, Everyone's so. exceptional there. So, so things hadn't changed after I left. Um, any did you, and did you play with uh, Mueller? Was he your conductor? Yes, yes. Otto yeah. Werner Mueller. Yes, he was um, very uh, notorious for um, saying the, the the unintentionally the funniest things and the most quotable things. Do you have any favorite? Stories to share before you go, because yeah, I've, well, I, I wrote I, a whole article about him and the, oh yeah. really? Oh yeah, he uh, he was even my parents' college conductor. Wow, um, back in the '60s. So yeah, Mueller stories. Well, there was this one particular time when I was sitting in the back of the uh, of the seconds of the second violins. This was early, I think, either in my first or second year. And you know, when you're sitting in the back of the orchestra, you you, you always think that the conductor can't see you for some reason, even <laughs> though it's like not at all the case. I mean, you know, you, you you imagine watching. I mean, the audience is even further away. But imagine if you saw like the last stand there, just like goofing off. I mean, <laughs> I don't know why. It's just it felt like that. So um, yeah, I did one time. I didn't. Uh, there was an entrance, and I didn't pick up my violin fast enough, and he just stopped the orchestra and said, <laughs> "You." Young Paganini in the back. <laughs> and then I was like, oh gosh. It was like, and then he said, do you want to be a part of this rehearsal? And I was like, yes, nodding my head. He's like, because if not, then you can get out. <laughs> and then I was just like, I just stood there. I, I, I didn't stand there. I just like, like sat there and I did not move. I like had my violin like up and I was just like kind of pointing my <laughs> scroll at him, like so determined. I was like, and then he just kind of like gave up. He was just like, start again from the to see. <laughs> and you just kept the violin up the whole rest of the yeah, rehearsal. Yeah, the whole rest of the rehearsal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think every 50% of the Mueller stories end with the words get out somewhere in there. I mean, he's either kicking people out, threatening to kick people out. He'll tell a story about how he kicks someone else out. Yeah, those are good experiences to have if you're going to make a career <laughs> out of playing in the orchestra. Because, um, yeah, it, it even happens in professional groups too. I remember Baron Boy. People get kicked out? Uh, no, not kicked out, but... Um, I, I was sitting in the back. This was, I guess it would have been the first violins in the Chicago Symphony, but I was sitting in the back of the firsts and when Barenboim was our music director. And I didn't feel like I was lost all that often, but I got lost for a bar or two in Mahler 9 one time. And I looked up from the music to see him staring directly at me, giving me this dirty look and shrugging his shoulders. He stopped conducting and just started shrugging his shoulders like, what are you doing? Oh you know, my goodness. You want one guy in the back of the section. What do you do? Why aren't you with us? <laughs> oh my gosh. So it was good to to have have the way prepared by Mueller to <laughs> actually just throw you out. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, great. I can't thank you enough for uh, spending some time with us today. It's been uh, awesome to play with you here this week to hear you. And uh, well, I guess you'll... You'll still be here in the hall tonight to hear the concert. That's right. Well, thanks for having me on your uh, show, uh, Nate. And it was a pleasure to chat with you here. Thanks again, Ray. And if this was your first time listening to Stand Partners for Life, thank you so much for checking us out and spending this time with us. And I would love for you to get each new episode delivered right to you as it arrives. So to do that, just hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to your podcast. If you want to check out the complete collection, 
and see all the episodes we've done, go to standpartnersforlife.com or to make it even shorter, sp4l.com. That's sp, the number four, l.com. And you can check out all the episodes, all our guests, and get a further look inside the symphony from me and Akiko. Thanks for being with us, and I'll see you for the next episode of Stand Partners for Life. <laughs>